Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. You know, what are the cats' names? What are they like? Well, we have Cecily and Algernon. Uh, uh-huh. Algernon is a little tabby. He's about four months old. He's really small. He is extremely energetic. He's always bouncing around and purring and wanting to play. Uh-huh. Right now, he's on the computer table between me and the monitor, and Michelle's petting him, so... Uh, you know, we're trying to keep him away from the keyboard. He's very curious. Cecily is about five months old. She is a uh, tortoiseshell cat, and she was really shy and reserved, but in the past week, she's really come out of it. She's, uh, you know, wanting to hang out with us. She's wanting attention. And the mm-hmm. two cats, they're inside. They're always uh, together. They're always snuggling and fighting and, well, play fighting. And so uh-huh. it's been nice having a cats again. Oh, well, I'm glad that your house is blessed with the feline uh, presence. Uh, and uh, I, I, I'm glad that you invited cats uh, into your life uh, so soon. So that's awesome. Yeah. Michelle, how are you? Oh, get over here, you. I'm, I'm doing very well, Hercules. Happy New Year, Steve. 
Um, I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, what you guys have cooked up for today. We're going to be adventuring on other planets, and that's always uh, uh, a great uh, thing. Uh, do you want to be on together, or would you like to take turns? Or what are your preferences for today? Uh, let's take turns, because after my segment's done, I'm going to run to the kitchen and start some dinner. Oh, awesome. Okay, great. So, Nicholas, the floor is yours. All right, so... Previously on uh, another episode of uh, Voice of Olympus, I had begun talking about the uh, uh, sci-fi compilation Old Venus, uh, edited by George R.R. Martin and Gardner Dazios. Um, I was hoping to find some sort of planet stories, and I finally found them. Uh, they're at the very end of the book. <laughs> and so there's like two of them. And I'm hoping to talk about them and kind of the... Uh, you know, the statements that they're trying to do, what they accomplish. Uh, I'll open by starting to talk about uh, The Wizard of the Trees by Joe R. Lansdale. Okay. And Joe R. Lansdale, he's, he's kind of a prolific horror sci-fi writer. Uh, folks listening in, they probably know him from the movie Bubba Hotep. He wrote the original novel that was based on. Um. He's also written another Sword and Planet story called Under the Warrior Star, and that appeared as a double book with uh, Michael Moorcock's Sojin Swordsman, which came out about 10 years ago. Uh, that was from uh, Planet Stories. It was a reprint. Okay. So, so Lansdale, this is kind of a, a, you know, he's going with similar territory again. So The Wizard of the Trees, it stars, stars, uh, Jack Davis, he's a U.S. Buffalo soldier. He's half black, half Cherokee, and he was uh, part of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. And he was over in Europe turning around. Well, he was coming back to America on the Titanic. And as we all know, the Titanic kind of hit an iceberg and sank. And as the ship's going down, you know, Jack is sucked underwater. And then, uh, because all sword and planet stories, you know, uh, a human has to get to another planet somehow. In this case, uh, it's, uh, he's underwater, under the Titanic, and he's just swooped away, and he arrives in a, a mud lake on Venus. So, uh, <laughs> kind of uh, astounding there. So uh-huh. he gets out of the mud, and he encounters um, this this levitating sled it's coming through the trees. Venus in this uh, version is extremely forested. In fact, what I found out is most uh, pulpy stories about Venus are almost always like forested, oceanic, or swampish. So anyway, there's this yeah. floating sled. It's got a, a couple people on it. They're yellow-skinned. They've got black hair. And they're being attacked by these bird people. Well, uh, Jack doesn't take kindly to that. He... Uh, he takes up a sword that uh, was dropped, and he leaps into the fray, and he saves these people in the sled. And it turns out they are royal, they're princes and princesses, uh, well, royal siblings, Devil and Gerald. And what has happened is uh, on Venus, there's uh, the race of bird people, and these folks, they each have half of a talisman. And the idea being that, you know, uh, it keeps the peace. E- each, uh, each race has a different piece of the talisman. And, you know, that's how an uneasy alliance has, you know, been generation, generation, generation. 
the legend being if, uh, you know, if the two pieces are put together, you will, you know, kind of rule the world type thing. So someone from the bird people has stolen it. Actually, uh, the royal advisor, the uncle of Devil and Gerald has, uh, you know, betrayed them, stolen the talisman and gave it to the bird people. And so they're off to get this talisman back and Jack uh, joins in because, well, what else is he supposed to do? He's on Venus. He doesn't know anyone. These are the only friendly people around. Uh-huh. And, and it should be noted as well is uh, like, like other sword planet books, you know, he arrives on Venus. He's got, he's blessed with superhuman strength and he can also understand everyone, you know, despite the, the magic forces of Venus. Uh-huh. So it should also be noted that Gerald, uh, she's a lady and she kind of fulfills the, uh, uh, Deja of Thoris character, the uh, Darluna of Castillo type character. Uh, Jack basically becomes super smitten with her. And so they take off uh, in the sled, this levitating sled. They get caught in a thunderstorm. They crash. Uh, Devil unfortunately passes away. And so it's just Jack and Gerald. And so they're on, they're on their mission still. They, they may have sex at one point. Um, but the author, uh, you know, he doesn't tell. Um, they eventually make it to the bird city, and they're captured. They're thrown into the jail where the previous um, monarch or heir of the monarch of the bird people is also in jail. Basically, he's been uh, absurd by uh, someone else who basically wants to take over Venus. And so they're all brought to the throne room, the, the evil bird person king has both sets of the talisman uh he puts them together and nothing happens um <laughs> so you okay. know, they're starting to think oh maybe it, you know doesn't really have a prophecy it's just kind of generated to keep the peace for people uh well it doesn't do anything but in the commotion you know jack escapes from his nets kills a lot of people holds the king at knife point um you know battles ensue but in the end, of course, Jack and Devil, uh, not Devil, Gerald, are triumphant. Um, the rightful monarch divvies up the talisman once again. You know, they want, you know, peace back with the land, and everyone goes on their way. Uh, so Jack and uh, Gerald basically become an item. They return back to their homeland, where he, much like in uh, John Carter and Jandor Callisto, you know, writes down his memoirs. Who will read this? I don't know, because I'm on Venus. And so that's kind of the gist of uh, the Wizard of the Trees. Um, it sounds like it's fun, very, It sounds like it we make an excellent fun. RPG, too, uh, with uh, the different races and the different pieces of the talisman. And, uh, um, you know, it sounds like something you could uh, invite people uh, into to experience. It would be a fun gaming session as well. You know, as a side note, as as I read through the old Venus book, you know, a lot of the stories, all their different takes on Venus, all sounded like that they would be great RPG settings. Uh-huh. And so I really liked uh, this story because it, it, it's, it's a throwback to what I would consider kind of classic sword and planets. It's very much like John Carter. It's very much like Lynn Carter's Callisto series. Um, it has all the same tropes. An American finds himself on another planet, superhuman strength. He falls for a, a princess who can kick ass. And also, mm-hmm. uh, Lansdale 
really heavily from his uh, previous story, Under the Warrior Star, in the sense that it's a very forested, sorted planet story. Uh, the Venus in this book and the planet in Under the Warrior Star mostly takes place in the canopy of these really big trees, these trees that have trunks that are this unfathomably huge. And, uh, and so, uh, so I wanted to bring that one up as, you know, it seems like it's um, taking an old formula for a sword and planet story, kind of giving it a new twist. Uh, the twist here being that the main character is, you know, he's a, uh, he's half black and half Cherokee. So instead of, you know, a normal white guy going off doing his thing, it's a bit more representative. And in fact, uh, you know, when you're on another planet in this regard, you know, the color of your skin is, you know, not as important. In fact, the character right. in here look at him like, oh, you look different. And that's the extent of it. You know, they quickly uh, accept him as one of their own and go off and do adventure. So it's kind of uh, positive that way. So it's, it's next, a lot of fun. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're no, right. It is a lot of fun. No, you keep going. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. No, that was it. I just wanted to comment that uh, I'm, I'm imagining it uh, is like a role-playing scenario, uh, and it, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. So the next story is Tobias Buckel's Pale Blue Memories. And this one is much more overt in its uh, political statements. And this one stars stars uh, Charles Stewart. He's half black and half white. He's a communications officer on a some sort of spacefaring military vessel that's down by the Nazis, and he crash lands on Venus. Okay. And so, and his crew. They're captured by the Venusians, and they're basically enslaved. And the parallel being um, uh, Charles, you know, he comes from a line of, you know, his ancestors were, you know, from the Ivory Coast. They've all been enslaved at one point, and so he's had oral tradition, you know, told him about his ancestors, where he came from, what slave life was like. And now here he is, you know, even though he's an American uh, soldier, uh, enslaved on another planet. And so, uh, and also, as a side note, like other Sword and Planet stories, he doesn't have superhuman strength, but he's able to understand everyone because they put a slug in his ear. So it's very uh, like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy of the Dabblefish. So uh-huh. he can understand the Venus. And so he and his other crew, they're, they're enslaved. Uh, they're, they're doing, uh, you know, very physical labor. Every night they're beaten. Um and the commander, you know, he can't really phantom this. He's like, wait a second, you know, I'm a commander. Uh, I should be able to talk to who's in charge and sort this all out. And he tries that out. And, of course, uh, he's threatened with uh, beatings and getting his tongue cut out. Well, he tries a, a different process. Well, I'm just going to, you know, escape. I'm going to lead a slave revolt. And he tries that out, but he's uh, instead ratted out by another slave. And they basically put him on display in the center of the town and, you know, beatings and, you know, they have monsters eating his flesh. And so he, you know, commits suicide by a cyanide pill. So it's really brutal. Well, eventually, um, Charles falls for another slave. Her, her name is Mayat of Tanish. And she becomes, you know, pregnant with his child. And he doesn't really want to raise a son in these conditions, our daughter. 
um, and conversely at the same time, the Nazis that shot them down eventually get captured and they're put in uh, with uh, Charles and the rest. And the Nazis are like, well, they, they have the same plan as the commander. Well, we'll talk this out. Okay, we're going to try to escape. Um, and so, well, Charles has his own escape plan. So what he does is uh, he uh, hides a knife on the Nazis and basically points it out, hey, check this out. And then in the commotion while, you know, the guards and whatever are, you know, beating the Nazis, uh, they steal an airship and they take off. And you would think at that point, all right, you know, a happy ending, you know, uh, Charles, his, uh, his lady and some of his uh, crewmates are, you know, like any other Sword and Planet story, off to do adventures. Uh, well, the epilogue of stories, that doesn't happen. In a couple months, they get recaptured. And uh, it comes to pass that they're recaptured. Uh, a good chunk of his crew is killed. His lady is killed. And he's telling his son, you know, basically stories that, you know, his dad had told him. Um, and it ends on a very kind of sou- uh, sad note that way. And so this sort of play, it's a bit, uh, story is a bit more heavy-handed, and it, it talks about, you know, white privilege and kind of the role of, you know, you know being a slave. Um, it, uh, example, the, the rest of his crew, you know, they're all white. He's the only, you know, half-black guy. Um, uh-huh. You know, they can't think what being a slave is like. And so they try all these other things of, of you know, talking it through or, in, uh, diplomacy or whatnot. Well, when you're asleep, you don't have any of that. And he's the only one to realize that. And so that's kind of the political message of of the story is kind of, you know, recognizing kind of the, the privilege that some folks have. However, and I, uh, this is something I caught on. I don't think the author intended it, but the, the story is actually a demystification of, you know, the trope of the slave revolt in sword and planet stories. If you read like Jandar of Callisto, he gets captured like five times in every book. And yes. every time he's captured, he's able to, to escape either. He befriends a lot of people. He leads a gladiator revolt or, or he's just, through his own wit or superhuman strength, able to get out of every scenario. And he makes it seem so easy. Um, you know, he's never, um, it captured that long. At the beginning of uh, Jandar of Callisto, he's abducted by the, uh, you know, the insect people made part of their treasure. Well, he befriends someone, that person sets him free, and that's it. You know, then he's captured by the sky pirates. He's made to work on the ship. Well, he leads a gladiator revolt, set free, you know, and repeat that through the rest of the books. It's very glamorized. And this sword and planet story, I, I believe, kind of, reins that in a bit, you know, if you're captured, you know, unless you're really good, like a James Bond type character, you're pretty much screwed. Um, and so even though the, uh, the story ended on a kind of a sad note that kind of, I want to, I want to say kind of grounded the fantasy in the sword and planet. Uh, there's no heroism here. It's, it's very um, bleak. And mm-hmm. even though it, it it doesn't sound very enjoyable. I, I felt like it was a, a nice take on the genre instead of high heroics and high fantasy. Is there something else that we could do with the genre? And I think the short story did it very well. 
Yes, it it, uh, it, it sounds uh, incredibly awesome. I have to uh, find these and read them myself because uh, um, I was waxing nostalgic as you spoke. And uh, I, I was thinking of Lynn Carter's Thangor. He met a lot of his uh, closest friends while he was in somebody's dungeon uh, or in prison as well. You know, re- reading through the Sword and Sorcery, Sword and Planet books, especially the Sword and Planet books, because... You know, the way those books are structured is, you know, the hero of these books could very well be the reader. You know, the, you know, Jandar or John Carter or whoever in this story, you know, Jack, you know, they wind up on a fantastic planet through circumstances outside of their control and they're thrust into, you know, a new society. They gain prestige. They, they, they gain power. They, they gain recognition. And, it, it's, it's the sort of thing that it really draws you in as a reader because you could say, well, that could be me. You know, as a reader, you could read Tolkien and say, oh, that's, that's Middle Earth. I can never go to Middle Earth. I'm here on, you know, America. Or you can read, um, you know, um, you know, George R.R. R. Martin's, uh, you know, Fire and Ice series. Well, it's a different world. Well, the Sword and Planet books, even though they're different worlds, they're within our own solar system, whatever. Yeah. And it's just, the idea being I could just turn a random corner in some fluke of nature. I'm now plucked up and put into an adventure on another world. And it's, I think that kind of escapism makes it seem so, uh, what's the word, attractive or lucrative uh, to read these books. And so when I read a Sword and Planet book, I, I could think of, well, could I act in this capacity? If, if, if I was captured, would I be able to escape could I be a superhuman, uh, you know, uh, strength or whatever and learn how to use a sword or, or cast spells or whatever? And so it's just really weird how they're able to make the fantasy even more accessible to someone who is just normal, everyday, nine-to-five work life. Oh, very true. And there are uh, metaphysical techniques uh, to take you to other worlds, Uh and uh, they include uh, certain types of meditation, certain types of breathing, uh, certain types of visualization. Uh, I first became aware of this uh, when, uh, um, way back in the day, uh, there was uh, an organization, I'm, I'm sure they're still around, called uh, the Harry Krishna Organization. And uh, one of the books that they had available for sale when they were doing their uh, dancing for their planet. Um, and uh, this was, uh, I, I found out about this book, and I bought it around the same time that I was reading uh, Lynn Carter, uh, back in the, uh, um, like, the 60s and late 60s, uh, early to mid-70s, and then I never stopped reading them, but around the time I became aware of both things, so the possibility of uh, meditating yourself to another planet, and that there are techniques held by um, uh, certain groups, just like in the novels on our planet, uh, that made the journey even more exciting. So, Hercules, just because you're a bit more uh, fluent in the genre than I am, um, you know, a lot of the sort of planet books involve, as I was saying earlier, you know, someone arriving on another planet through, you know, falling into a pool of water, falling into a, a, a ray of light, uh, in the case of Under the Warrior Star, it's just through, like, a, a teleportation device. Has there actually been a Sword and Planet story where the protagonist actually 
wills himself on another planet through meditation or whatever? Because if not, well, that sounds John like a Carter. great story. Yeah, John Carter came the closest with his, uh, uh, like, uh, his astral projections, you know, to, uh, to Mars. Uh, what's described in John Carter, it sounds like astral projection. And in the movie, too, they, they kept this in where his body was still here while his uh, spirit was out adventuring and had taken uh, uh, form on Mars. But you're right, that would be an excellent uh, vehicle uh, for uh, uh, stories like this. And um, Swedenborg, the uh, mystic, he wrote a book on uh, life on other planets where he described his... Uh, uh, meditative adventures uh, uh, on other spheres, and he had said that uh, they're on different rates of vibration, which is what you know other cultists had been saying too. So they might not be totally visible to our uh, eye if, or to our space probes, but slightly out of phase with the reality, these places were very populated. Um, and somebody had studied the Theosophy uh, connection with uh, uh, they'd written a book called uh, The Sword of Theosophy where they uh, um, basically uh, demonstrated how much um, Burroughs and other sort of planet authors had relied on uh, uh, information uh, that was available to uh, those who are mystically inclined. So that is a very uh, fruitful line of inquiry, and um, I, that would make a great vehicle for a story or a series of stories. So, so, real quick, because you mentioned probes. You know the uh, big you know, news yeah, that's happening news. tomorrow? No. Um, that uh, the new Hor- I think it's New Horizons, the space probe that went by Pluto the other year. Uh-huh. It's passing by another uh, small planet tomorrow. Oh wow! Yeah, they, they've oh, they tentatively uh, call the planet our dwarf planet or asteroid, whatever it is, uh, Ultima Thule. Um, but it's oh, passing wow. by January 1st. It's going to be the, the furthest object in our solar system that will be uh, photographed and sent back. So I am super excited to see what uh, it's going to look that, like. Thank you for sharing that with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait uh, to see what happens with that as well. That is very exciting. I, I know uh, when it passed by Pluto, you know, the other uh, year, I was, you know, watching all the uh, – not watching, reading all the NASA news, and you know that had influenced my uh, my Cats of Ulthar story. So you know, hence why uh-huh. uh, I'm really excited. Last bit of uh, you know activity from this probe. Yeah, that is that is phenomenally exciting. Um, going back to what you said before too, with uh, in the Lovecraftian stories, uh, um, the moon and several uh, other uh, earthy uh, planets. Uh, have uh, animals like cats especially that uh, uh, travel back and forth. So the dreamlands, you know, in the astral plane are a very good way of uh, intelligences from the beyond uh, connecting with our sphere. Absolutely. You know, the, the cats of Saturn, the uh, the, the critters yeah. on the dark side of the moon, the moon in the dreamlands. Um, I, I always... Uh, you know, and when I talk about the short story I wrote, you know, I gave the, the moon a very Italio Calvino flair and populated the moon with uh, butterfish and seeds of milk. But, you know, yeah, Lovecraft had put a lot of uh, uh, night gaunts and other slimy things on the moon. And 
uh, I'll tell you right now, I have a, another short story idea for the Dreamlands I'm hoping to uh, realize earlier this year. You know, having our, having our, our two uh, new kittens has kind of inspired me for another uh, uh, Cats of Ulthar story. So, you know, once I actually realize that, I'll have to, to share that with you. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I like your writing um, and I like your company. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to when you publish that and uh, you're sharing it with us. And we're running out of time uh, for our half hour. Uh, would you care to share your contact information with our listeners? Absolutely. So I can be found at nickdiak.com, N-I-C-K-D-I-A-K.com. And from there, you can find all the links to all the news or social media and everything I'm on. That's the best way to find me. Uh, in advance, I hope everyone has a great New Year's tonight and a wonderful upcoming 2019. Thank you so very much. And uh, you're going to be on much more in 2019 on the show. Uh, so I'm greatly looking forward to it. Thank you very much, Nicholas. I, I appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me this past year uh, during 2018. I've been appreciative of all the appearances and all the support that you've been given. And I'm very appreciative of your coming on as a guest because you're uh, very intelligent, very well informed, very creative, and lots of fun to talk to. All right. Well, thank you very much. Here's Michelle. Thank you very much. Greetings, Michelle. How are you? I'm very well, Hercules. How are you? I'm doing great. I hear that you have finished your exploration of John Carter and have something to share with us tonight. I do. I, um, you know, um, not too long ago we were talking about John Carter and I was, I mentioned about uh, uh, Liana of Guffall, uh, yes. which is a uh, novel in the John Carter series. And um, I finally read it recently and thought, well, that would be a great story to talk about this evening. Um, so I thought I would talk a little bit about the background of John Carter um, and okay. then go into thought and then um, a little bit of why I chose the story to talk about um, and read <laughs> and then some observations. So um, the background I wanted to bring up because I'll be honest, although we hear about John Carter quite a bit, I'll be honest, I didn't know a whole lot about the character or, you know, how he originated. So I thought if it's okay with you, I'd talk a little bit of the background about John Carter um, and then awesome. move on into Oh, wonderful. So um, John Carter is a fictional character. He was created by writer Edgar uh, Rice Burroughs, and he is the main protagonist of the Barsom story. Uh, Carter's originally from Virginia, and he was a veteran, having served as captain on the side of the Confederacy um, during the American Civil War, and afterwards became a gold prospector. So while hiding in a cave from the Apaches, uh, he died and was transported by astral projections to Mars. His Martian form was identical to his earthly one, however, due to the decrease gravity on the red planet, Carter was stronger and more agile than, than he was on Earth. Um, he becomes a warlord on Mars and it makes it his mission to save the inhabitants on the planet, which is dying. Um, he marries a Martian princess um, 
Deja Thoris of uh, Helium. It's important to, to point out, and this was something I, I didn't know, that uh, Carter is kind of immortal, and he remains in appearance like around 30 years old. Um, and over the years, he does make returns to Earth, and he relates his adventures to his nephew, Edgar Rice Burroughs. The first Carter story was written in 1911 and released in 1917 as a novel as, um, and retitled A Princess of Mars. The Barson series is a compilation of 12 volumes, and as I mentioned um, at the beginning, I'll be focusing on the first of four stories that is in the collection of uh, Lana of Gothal. And uh, the first book is titled The Ancient Dead, um, but I believe was originally titled The City of Mummies. So that's the key. Oh, wow. Good. <laughs> um, <laughs> that explains why that was appealing to you. That is awesome. Yeah. So um, hence the reason why I took an immediate interest in this story and was like, aha, I must read this post haste. So, um, Lana of Gasol was published in the Amazing Stories uh, publication back in 1941, and it was released as the 10th volume in the larger book series in 1948. So that kind of gives you uh, a background of John Carter. Um, I found it very helpful because a lot of that I didn't know ahead of time. So that uh-huh. really helped me. Um, you know, in reading the story, because I read the story first, and then I went back and I started doing some research. Um, and I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> and of course, you know, movies are are not always like the no, book. No, they're not. So, there were actually yeah. two movies uh, from the about the Princess of Mars. There was John Carter, and then there was another movie uh, with a much lower uh, budget uh, called Princess of Mars. Uh, but it was the uh, um, the material from uh, Burroughs, again, slightly different than the books, but recognizable enough um, that uh, you know it was taken from the Princess of Mars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what, what what fascinated me when I went back to read about John Carter was, you know, it helped me to understand why he was still so young, because in this story he actually meets his, his granddaughter, um, who is also a young woman. And so I was kind of like, okay, how does that work? So now I know. <laughs> so uh, so um, The Ancient Dead, or book one, John Carter is seeking some solitude and decides to travel northwest uh, from Helium. He, uh, he gets as far as, uh, he gets as far northwest uh, as the deserted ancient city of Porth where he sees a man, um, Pan Dan Chi, fighting against a group of green Martians. Carter joins the fighting and then gives chase to one fleeing enemy. For his trouble, Carter is taken prison, prisoner and brought before Ho Ran Kim, who is the Jeddak of Horse, where he learns that this race of people are the um, uh, Oravar, and it is their custom to kill outsiders so their hidden civilization is not discovered. In solidarity, uh, Pan Dan Chi joins Carter in the pits as they wait for the sentence of death to be carried out the following day. 
the the pair are attacked by a giant ulfio, um, which is basically the Martian equivalent of a big rat. And they eventually find a, per, a perfectly preserved ancient lawyer, which Pan Damchi presumes was embalmed by an ancient embalming artist by the name of uh, Li Un Lo. Um, so immediately my ears perked up was like, ooh, embalmed money. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey So Carter, he takes the swords, the warrior's swords, so that he has weapons in the pits because, um, you know, he's a prisoner. He doesn't have any weaponry. Um, but in doing so, he, he actually looks at the warrior, and he's quite surprised by the the preserved nature of this warrior. He looks like he's, you know, still alive and slightly warm to the touch. Um, so that kind of like, hmm, what's going on here? Um, but that still doesn't stop him from going ahead and, and taking the weapons. Um, so anyway, while the pair explore the tunnels, they see a distant light. In that, they find an old bad man by Rose and Ben, who tries to hit the side of the pair. Um, okay. So what happens is Carter is able to kill the guy, and that awakens all the victims of this madman. So, like, all these various mummies come to life. Um, and they're all, like, trying to figure out, well, what's going on? You know, uh, I thought I was headed off to a party, only to find out that all these dis- disoriented victims of this madman um, they've been asleep um, or, you know, kind of embalmed by hypnosis for thousands upon thousands of years, maybe even a million years. So um, during the time that everybody's kind of talking and uh, Carter and um, Pandan Chi are trying to explain that, you know, the Mars you know, is now long gone. The These great civilizations no longer exist. Um, they're all like, you know, you're, you're lying to us. This isn't true. So um, in the meantime of them all discussing who pops out of one of the chests but uh, Lana of Gasol, who is John Carter's granddaughter. Um, so we, we find out uh, that she has been hiding from a would-be suitor. So we kind of get her side story of how she ended up at court. And then all together the group uh, look for a way out of the pit. And uh, when they do, uh, the ancient people look out to the land and they're kind of like just, you know, shocked by the fact that this is not the, the world that they knew before they became hypnotized. As they're coming to that realization, uh, all the, the ancient people disintegrate into dust, the years basically catching up on them. And um, Carter counts it as a blessing because the world, the ancients went new, uh, a Mars with vast oceans and civilizations no longer exist. So book one closes with Carter, Pandanchi, and 
uh, Lana walking off to their next adventure as they seek a way home from Hort. So why this book? Well, it's the first mummy book that I've read that does not take place on Earth. It's also mm-hmm. a sort of fantasy genre, uh, John Carter's story, which is also a first for me. I hadn't ever read John Carter before, and like I said, I haven't seen the movies. Um, I haven't read comics or anything like that. So it was kind of, I felt like a good way to kind of like jump in and start reading a bit of John Carter. And and the Sword and Planet, uh, I guess, subgenre uh, fascinates me. And the fact that um, here's the story with, with mummies, um, not in, the, in quite the traditional sense that we mm-hmm. would have expected, um, but that, you know, was obviously a big attraction uh, for me uh, with regards to the story. So, as you know, um, because of my like of mummies and, and my research, I, as I was reading through, I took some notes about the story and kind of things that I saw that parallels mummies or even just ancient civilizations. And mm-hmm. um, so I thought I'd relate those. Um, I, I is, that. Thank you. Okay, cool. So uh, one of the first things, Carter notes uh, his interest in the deserted cities and how he pieces together knowledge from the carvings and murals that decorate the buildings. So, you know, as the the story opens, he's in his flyer, and as he comes up on horse and he's looking down, you know, he's looking at the, the architecture and he's looking at, at the art and the murals as a way to try to piece together the history. And so I thought about how before hieroglyphics um, were successfully understood, early Egyptologists would have had to piece together their understanding of the ancient civilization by the architecture, statues, um, things that they found, you know, pottery and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Horses is the oldest and greatest um, dead cities. Water was a critical ele- element to its birth, but it was also its demise. And so I felt like this wasn't uh, unlike some of the early uh, pre-dynastic oasis villages of ancient Egypt. Um, You know, like we know from, uh, what was it, the Scorpion King movie, you know, places that uh, the Rock's character comes from, you know, the pre-dynastic villages that no longer, you know, exist because there isn't the water. Um, Mm -hmm. So I thought that was an interesting tie. Um, Horse is described as the, quote, capital of a great It was the seat of learning and culture. And as we know, ancient Egypt was a great empire under the pharaonic rule and was a civilization of knowledge, uh, sciences, mathematics, astronomy, uh, religion, um, and so forth. And so, you know, again, we have you know, more correlation between, you know, Egypt and this, uh, the various civilizations on Mars. Uh, the ancient warrior is, um, is guessed at being perhaps a million years old, but still looking as though he was alive 
except for the layer of dust that covered him. Um, he wore jewel-encrusted harness, a helmet of diamonds, and a scarab similarly um, emblazoned. And that's um, the warrior skin is still pliable and warm. And so, you know, I was thinking back to the accounts of mummies as being lifelike and amazingly preserved. Um, you know, and so, of course, you know, if you think back and, and see the um, you know, like Howard Carter and other Egyptologists, um, how they, uh, you know, many of the, the images of mummies look kind of lifelike, obviously not to yes. the extent of John Carter, but you could, you could make some correlations between the two. Um, the next uh, correlation that I made, uh, Lee Um Lo, who's referred to as the most famous embalmer of all time. Um, It recounts that his work is so perfect that not even the corpse himself knew that he was dead. And upon several occasions, they arose and walked out during the funeral services. Uh, So I thought that was actually rather humorous. Um, (laughs) And um, thought about, you know, mummies coming back to life and regenerating, you know, like the Brendan Frazier, the mummy. Um, you know, finding all the various canoptic jars and and basically regenerating back to this lifelike uh, individual. Um, and the fact that you know the the, abom- the embalmers of ancient Egypt had had to be artists um, to do their job um, successfully um, and to have to have their work be able to preserve bodies over, you know, three, four thousand years is, is quite a feat. Um, Indeed. The, the porch life that they talk about during the, the story uh, made me think of, um, so they, Carter talks about these torch lights and how they've been worked from a science that's no longer understood and, and is even, you know, readily available knowledge. So it made me think of ancient Egyptian practices that are still a mystery, um, such as the building of the pyramid or the origin of the Sphinx, um, you know, and many other mysteries. I mean, we've been unlocking, you know, the idea of the mummification process, but, you know, we don't know, you know, if we have every piece of that mystery solved, but there's plenty of others within ancient Egypt um, that are still mysteries. Uh, the madman Luntar Taro, he used hypnotism to capture and keep his victims, some even for food, um, which was, so he was also a cannibal. Um, and uh, John Carter describes his voice was like a dreamy lullaby. I felt myself sinking into pleasant slumber. By hypnosis, we were being condemned to a living death. Um, and Loom Taro, we find out a few pages later, was friends actually with the, the Li Um Lo, uh, the, the most famous embalmer. So when Loom Taro died, the embalmer actually embalmed his friend. So Loom Taro, we find, is actually dead. And... Uh, the quote in the, the book is like, 
He's not a human being. He's not a live creature at all. Just a corpse, the malign brain of which still functioned. Um, mm. So this is actually kind of a new trope for creating mummies, you know, and, and throughout the story we find out how well-preserved uh, this embalmer was able to create um you know, mummies is so real that they didn't even know that they were that they were dead, and so that's kind of like I guess I should have said that there's spoilers in this in my conversation, but you know, so that we find out that Untaro, the madman, is actually a mummy himself, and he's been a lot, or he's been conscious and hypnotizing, you know, unsuspecting victims for, you know, many many hundreds, thousands of years. So I thought that was really an interesting new trope for creating uh, mummies. It kind of is, it goes along with uh, one of the other tropes that I've been learning about, and that is uh, the use of ventriloquism as a way of this false illusion that a mummy is alive or that he's speaking um, by throwing one's voice. So I thought it was uh, fascinating that now we have hypnotism as kind of, you know, further expanding the, the concept of mummies. Um, one of the last things that I wanted to bring up was the fact that we always have mummies, um, you know, from like the earliest of, uh, oh, Arthur Conan Doyle. He wrote uh, Lot number 249, and in that, it's kind of the first story that talks about a mummy being um, basically uh, at the service and beck and call of someone else. Um, So we don't really, you know, from that earliest time and through some of the movies and things like that, really understand the situation of a mummy from their point of view. And so I thought that this is an aspect of mummies that is often left out of stories or explained away by the mummy gaming, gaining like vast quantities of knowledge so that they can accumulate quickly to the current time period. So um, to quote uh, John Carter right towards the end of the story, he says, they simply could not believe the testimony of their own eyes. I cannot recall ever having felt sorrier for many of my fellow men than I did at that moment for these poor people. And mm. so, um, you know, Car- Carter states, these people never could have found happiness in the Barsom of today, a dying world so unlike the glorious world of Barsom in the full lush of her prime with her five oceans, her great cities, her happy, prosperous people who, if history speaks the truth, had finally overthrown all warlords and warmongers and established peace from pole to pole. And so I just thought, wow, that's actually quite, um, you know, uh, a loaded uh, quote, you know, that, you know, here's this this dying planet. And, um, you know, at one time there was a peace, you know, that was world-known, um, and that, unfortunately, you know, it's best that these people disintegrated rather than to come to know and have lost the world that they 
that they had known and, and had built. So I thought that was a very uh, intriguing and unique uh, perspective of mm-hmm. story to perspective. Um, so that was kind of my reading and my thoughts of, of the first that's where the mummies are, so that's the one that I read. <laughs> that is incredibly awesome. Thank you for sharing all that. That's a tremendous amount of uh, uh, research and uh, uh, thinking that you put into your presentation. Well, so, thank you. And just for reference, um, the book that I that I was reading from is the collection of John Carter of Mars, Volume Three. Uh, it is. Uh, a collection by Edgar Rice Burroughs. It was published in 2012 by the Disney edition. Um, just thought I'd put that out there in case people were interested in, in going and looking at the book themselves. I think that's a response to the movie. Oh, was that in response to the movie? Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. The movie I haven't seen. <laughs> Do you think you'll be developing that trope uh, further? Nicholas was inspired by... Uh, uh, some of the more metaphysical means of reaching uh, planets and uh, um, his gears were turning toward uh, something creative in that area. Uh, are you now going to be exploring mummies in space or giving us tales of mummies in space? Yeah, you know, actually it was something that uh, Nicholas and I have been talking about, you know, just different stories. Um, and I I didn't have anything to go by, you know, because I was kind of like mummies and, you know, you know, in space and, uh, you know, sword and planet. How would that work? And so this kind of gives me an idea and, and uh, gives me a lot of uh, food for thought about a story that I I wouldn't mind writing. So um, I know there's probably some movies out there, too, that have uh, that explore this as well. Um so I'm anxious to actually do some more research and, um, yeah, give myself a, you know, a little spin at trying uh, to write a mummy story that's set in an earth and planet uh, genre. Have you ever seen uh, Stargate? I have. Yes, Stargate, both the movie and the the series and all the alternate uh, comics and books uh, that took place in another version of the universe, um, they uh, focus very heavily on uh, um, ancient uh, gods uh, as uh, space aliens, whether they're uh, um, possessed by the serpent gold or whether they're ascended uh, masters or ancients or, you know, uh, again, metaphysics uh, plays heavily in their understanding of uh, um, aliens. Um, They deal a lot with ancient Egypt from the first movie where you meet Ra. And then uh, when you start the TV show, you meet uh, Apophis, Anubis, uh, uh, Heruere, you know, there's a lot of Bast, I believe. Um, so it, it's it's very very interesting how they've uh, taken mythology and woven it into their uh, um, outer space uh, fantasy. Yeah, you know, uh, I've I've watched a little bit of Stargate, but I mean, I've definitely I I saw the movie. Uh, it's been quite a while um, now, um, and I've watched a few episodes of the of the television series, but. I, you know, I, I definitely need to go and check that out um, and explore that further. Well, 
I'm looking forward to your creativity and Nicholas's creativity producing uh, uh, more portals into uh, Sword and Planet and uh, getting more and more people uh, into the genre. Yeah, I, I, this was actually really a, a fun read, and I'm glad that uh, I had uh, this, this platform in which to, you know, discuss it and kind of flesh out my thoughts. So I'm very appreciative. And, and I'm very appreciative that you prepared this uh, presentation. Um, how can folks get in contact with you, Michelle, and how can they enter the worlds you've already created? Sure. Um, so probably the best way uh, right now is to go to my author page at Amazon, um, and that lists all the books that I'm involved in or that I've edited. Um, and then I'm also going to be starting up my Michelle's Musings on Mummies again on January 7th. I took a little awesome. hiatus with uh, having two new uh, kittens in the uh, household and kind of being a, a, a new uh, feline mommy again. Uh, that kind of taken my attention, and so I took a, a short break, but I'll be back on January 7th and have uh, lots of stuff planned in the new year. Uh, for my blog. Awesome. And uh, again, I'm very happy for you, Nicholas, that you have these two feline uh, friends uh, um, in your lives. And uh, that is a phenomenally awesome thing. I put links uh, to your Facebook page, to your Amazon page, and to your uh, Michelle's Musing on Mummies so that folks can uh, uh, find it if they visit uh, my page. And I'm looking forward to uh, moving forward in 2019. And uh, um, I'm very grateful to you and Nicholas, our scholars from the edge of time, for keeping us posted on a wide range of, uh, um, of, of uh, genres that uh, people normally would not have uh, access to or portals to. Well, and thank you, Hercules. It's been a real pleasure. Um being a part of Voice of Olympus, Pride of Olympus, and um, starting into the uh, Starfleet uh, adventures in the, in the coming year. Um, just thank you very much, Hercules. It's been a real pleasure uh, being on the show, um, being a regular guest. Uh, just really looking forward to all the things that we'll be discussing and uh, collaborating on in the new year. I'm very excited and, and can't thank you enough for this opportunity. And I thank you as well. Uh, it's my honor to have you guys on. You're awesome. And I'm looking forward to even greater adventures in uh, 2019. Um, happy New Year, guys. Happy New Year, Hercules, and to Athena as well. And to all thank your you. listeners. Thank you. We're going to take a brief break and we're going to listen to a song and then we'll be back with Master Phoenix, uh, who just started a disclosure network in uh, Utah. And we're going to talk about um, chemtrails. Are they real? Are they not real? We will explore that a bit more. Um, and let me see what song do I want to play. I will play Dreamer by Emma Kayla.
I guess, illumine them as to uh, why you're a techno-druid, and then tell us about uh, Project Perceptor. Okay, so now um, a little bit about well, a little bit about me. Um, average person driven to extraordinary heights. Um, techno druid. I have been a. I've been actually. I've been following the path of uh, order of OBOD dedicated druid for years now and decades, and. I have always found that I've had a proclivity towards invention of machines that can do that can help out nature. Of course, this is the highest calling for any druid, given you know, given those circumstances. So yes, that's that would be that would be like kind of like saying um, a hacker cowboy or something. But okay. uh, essentially, I, I essentially I think uh, the integration between the two, especially given the possibilities we have nowadays, to do stuff like, you know, uh, to do you know to do stuff like uh, aquaponics, which can be easily controlled by a computer. Um, the makers of this day and age are great inspiration. And okay, so on on onwards to Perceptor. Now uh, the disclosure movement, in its various facets, is a widely growing another widely growing phenomenon. Um, huge nations, Russia, being the biggest of them, they have opened up their files on every all the contacts with what they determine to be things not of this world. I think there's like 22 countries in that compact that has done that. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can, you can, you can Google it. You can Google it. Um, in fact, give me a second and I can Google it. Okay. Country. And I can put it in the Facebook comments for the show. Awesome. But okay, so yeah, um, things not of this world. Well, um, if they're not of this world, they've obviously crossed at least, at least distance to the nearest star would be nine times four six two, eighteen thirty six trillion miles inside of a lifetime. They're not going to. They're not going to come here in just a little. You know, anything anything less than planet size. If they're moving, if they're not moving, you know, then we got a whole different scenario. But the whole idea that when we do finally meet ET, uh, we, you know, the whole idea behind Perceptor is to fix things meanwhile. But when we finally get to meet ET, hey man, there he, there he is, there he, she, if they are, and you can ask them for pointers. So and meanwhile, do things do things um, that help out the Earth. Um, I believe contrails were a topic today. Yes, today the chemtrails because uh, I'm starting a disclosure network here in Jersey. In fact, I've started it already. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different from how uh, Nick Curdo. Um, has structured his uh, disclosure network and uh, how you're structuring it. 
but we're going to focus on a lot of the same uh, things. So, uh, yeah, chemtrails seem like a good place to start because there's a lot of uh, um, there's a lot of evidence, but I don't have the background to really understand and uh, interpret uh, the evidence. So, uh, um, you know, basically, I need to educate myself, and uh, I've, I got Nick's perspective on chemtrails. I figured, let me get your uh, perspective on chemtrails. Um, okay, so um, sh- do okay. Do do uh, should I should I eliminate further stuff about? Um, the perceptor network, or do you want to move to that? Tell people more about the perceptor network and what you're doing, and then I'll I'll talk about what I'm doing here in New Jersey. Okay, 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 cool. So I've got I've got um, okay. So using using free infrastructure, which the best the best way to do that. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, the cheapest way is the best. The cheapest way with security, I mean, then you have Google Business. But uh, for for overall foot traffic digitally, I decided to use. A, I decided to use, expound upon the basic model of a uh, Facebook. That we, they used to call them fan pages, but then they opened them up to everything else. Um, looking at that, looking at that, I've used a, um, you're going to see a a previous radio show posted as as this one will be pinned as well. Uh, let's see, posts. Okay, that, uh, Nick's there, Elysium Project is there. And then in in the posting section, you're going to find just a a, a total mod podge of maker stuff, uh, mini mm-hmm. laser engraving machine, laser design CNC dashboard, and how to do it yourself. Um, hack old CD-ROMs into a CNC machine. I was obviously on a CNC kick. These things could be useful in either a present-day situation for just a home who obviously has a burnt up CD-ROM, say the drive, say the motor failed, and they know it was the motor that failed, but the laser's still good. You know, uh, you, the average citizen's going to come up on enough CD-ROMs to be able to uh, either harvest the cutting laser, out, the burning laser out of it, to do CNC, to do cutting work on things like wood, light metals, that type of stuff. And uh, okay, yeah. So you have the walkthrough on like five different ways on how to do it. Um, development board, development board. Okay, so there was a dude who figured out how to actually make a harp that sounds like a harp, like um, you would expect Hercules. Okay. And he's using lasers to do it. There's another DIY. I believe that one came from Instructables, but I pinned it off of an old web page, and yeah, there it stood until I picked it up years later on Pinterest, and it's like, wow, I pinned that. I actually pinned that one. 
I was the first person. I O two uh-huh. weather station. How to okay? So moving moving down in just the posts that I've shotgunned there to get the discussion started. Uh, I O T weather station, which when you can start to collect data like uh, humidity down to two decimal points, or um, temperature, air pressure. Altitude based on not just air pressure, mm-hmm. uh, compass bearings, and the such, and then you put those together in something called a mesh network. Which, um, as I have more to offer, as I have more to offer on this Bitcoin endeavor, um, I will certainly be show, I will certainly be teaching our listeners. This will probably be when we move into YouTube because it'll be a lot easier. Right. Or, you know, we move into Facebook Live, so it'll be a lot easier. Um, and yeah, I I said I'd cover I said I'd cover the the the, the educational data over throughout the week. So and I, I taught myself off of YouTube. There's nothing wrong with it. And it's easy. Um go moving moving down, just cursing down I don't know, cur- not, well not really cruising, but uh, we have HHO generators. Um, any car that can run the CNG, the clean natural gas, can mm-hmm. run wa- can run electrolyzed water, or HHO Brown's gas, as it's called. Um, when they started splitting, when they started using electricity in the 1700s to split water. So, and I hope to, uh, and especially with spring. I hope to make this make this page an arc of everything that you would need to either better this civilization, or you know, I'm just like just like an insane reference. We got to figure out. I mean, we have the groups option. It has a tied in group, and invites uh-huh. are available for anybody who wants one. Just contact me on the Perceptor page, uh, or Facebook.com forward slash ROR preceptor project. And I'm sure that I'm sure that we'll have like 10, 15 chances to drop that later on in the, later on in the podcast as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, that's the goal with the page. And um, this is going to delve into uh, this. This was also meant to delve into some of the, um, I guess you could say freakier, not not freaky to the point of what the Defense Department would call uh, WSFM or weird science and f- weird science and freaking magic. Okay, uh, I but, where there was such a designation, <laughs> but I guess I learned something new every uh, day. Um, as you talk to as you as you actually start to talk to military types yourself, especially retired military, you know, follow following Brewer's footsteps. Don't just take his word for it. I mean, the man's a genius, and so are, so was his counsel, and so is his counsel of people he runs with. They're all geniuses, um, but still, I mean, he begs the challenge himself. Do do your homework. Get the information. Do your homework on the meditations, and you know, draw your own conclusions there. So, um, yeah, I mean, my own conclusion is that I would like to better the planet, and 
when and where I, I, I believe I'm one of those. I don't want to know. I want to, or I don't want to believe I want to know types. I almost got that backwards. But you, and when I find, yeah, yeah. And when I finally do get a chance to know, then the game will change. But meanwhile, you know, we are we it 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 is it is foretold the um, the man to encompass all the shadowy you know all of those types that uh, were in Kennedy's speech back in the '60s on the shadowy governments. Um, you could, uh, you guys you guys all can YouTube that one. Okay. Um, the, this was an actual Kennedy speech. Yeah, um, I've heard, heard that uh, fragment. And there was also a um, Hawaiian, I believe he was a senator. Or yeah, I believe he was a senator that was con- that was ha- has been widely publicized on record as saying the same. So, anyways, yeah, those types are always going to have twenty technology twenty years ahead of what we have. And before humans can achieve immortality by reconstruction of your telomeres inside of your DNA and reconstruction okay. of your RNA, you just got to survive until 2050, dudes. <laughs> and okay. the, the general public will have it. So that begs the question, do they have, are, 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 is the man 10 years from immortality? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, all we can do, all we can do, is solve the problems that we have in front of us, and in the order we can solve them. Mm. So, uh, for Salt Lake, uh, for the capital city of Utah, and my home county, this just this the second county, this the next county down. I mean, we definitely need an army of makers. Uh, we have okay. one maker space. Um, I believe I believe didn't didn't you say Rita made the Rita made the Crestkill Library makerspace? Yes, so that we have uh, we have a makerspace. We have a uh, Maker's Day uh, once coming up. Uh, uh, I don't recall exactly when it is, but I'll be involved with that. And uh, uh, I'm the president of the uh, um, Friends of the Crestkill Library, and I'm on the uh, grant writing team. So uh, we're pushing forward with. Uh, um, with making uh, and other such uh, projects and uh, other STEM projects in the community. See, victory victory is often one in inches. Very um, true. And so we got to move those inches forward. Yes, yes, definitely. Always, always. Um, I'll have to look at the river map out there. I spent the afternoon um, with uh, with uh, an associate from Buff- from Buffalo, and we were looking at places that we could drop um, water turbines to generate power to power Bitcoin servers. I think that is that is a lucrative market. And what what we're doing what we're doing with the Elysium project, and what I'm doing with Perceptor alone. I mean, if we can get a good source of that, that would be, you know, here here launches our business segment on how how do how do we do it? Here launches our big business segment with a wildly successful business mm-hmm. <laughs> doing cryptocurrency. Well, 
um, the beginning of our interaction, you had always uh, said that uh, um, a big part of your motivation is to free people uh, from uh, the uh, um, wheel of perpetual uh, labor uh, that many people are stuck in or you know, trying to find uh, labor and, and free them through uh, technology. And uh, we all grew up with the belief that technology will ultimately free us. So uh, uh, I'm very interested in what you're doing uh, for that uh, reason, that uh, uh, you're not looking to enslave through technology or to um, capture and uh, um, imprisoned with technology, you're looking for ways for people to free themselves with uh, technology. So uh, that is something I admire, and that's something I'm very interested in. See, this this is this is this is why we have a standard of open source in a lot of things. Um, the uh, and I mean I mean there okay so there is uh, there is a company that is big it should be actually a lot bigger out there than it is here. Uh, called VMware that sells for I believe like two or three thousand dollars sells a solution that will take uh, processor cycles on one uh, the the raw horsepower of a computer and spread it out amongst other computers. Uh, this has been a free technology in GN as it, as an operating system in GNU Linux since 1971. And you can download that. It's called Boink or Berkeley Open Infrastructure Network Computing. Yes, yes, it is critical, critical, mission critical that we maintain a, at least a semi-public archive on how did we do it. Mm-hmm. And especially, especially, especially where my stuff is leading, um, once, once you get a network of people that, have came by, seen what I'm doing with plants, said, wow, that's cool, and uh, started doing it themselves, or at least taken a blueprint and started doing it themselves, you're going to want to have a market to sell those in. So, I mean, and there, the the calculation on how you do a cryptocurrency is one thing, uh, you know, the base calculation on how you do said cryptocurrency is um, available to, uh, as a public, you know, it's it's open source. Now, what you do to it, that in in the calculation process, and keep in mind these calculations are going to be infused with a few things. Along the way, that's that's a technique. That's a technique in the in the computer industry called salting. That's where you see WPA2 ESS. That's externally salted uh, system or something like that. Um, yeah, I don't have the background to understand uh, uh, cryptocurrencies at the present time. Yeah, you know, uh, like I don't really have the background to understand chemtrails. That is something I want to explore because I've heard about cryptocurrencies. Uh, uh, in the news and uh, um, from other uh, people, so I need to uh, uh, bridge my ignorance yeah. uh, uh, in that regard. This, this at least for now, is why you have us. Yes, okay. um, and I mean, we, we, I mean, to keep to keep the to keep the ball rolling, we dig down a step further. I mean, if we don't understand something, we dig down a step further and check it out. And okay, right. this, 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 and this. 
it, it's like it's like in two months I've educated myself on the basics of black hat hacking, so I can be a Jedi. You know, there's a different black hat and white hat. Uh, but I, I've learned the dirty tricks so that I can protect against. I can tell people how to protect against them. It's actually a very very lucrative industry. Um. So, okay. I mean, okay. Um, okay. Did you want me to continue with the, with the, yeah, did you want me to continue with that or did we need to break off into something? No, no, no. Um, again, I okay. just want to start establishing a foundation. Uh, you've been very okay. busy and uh, it's difficult to get you on the show. Um, so we're going to correct that in 2019 to have you on a little bit more, uh, Often today is kind of like a reintroduction to who you are and what you're doing, uh, and uh, this way we could better coordinate uh, efforts in uh, 2019. Uh, one of the things that we'll be doing is we'll be having a disclosure network meeting, uh, the three of us right now, and then any other disclosure networks who want to uh, join in. So, you know, we'll work with Nick's uh, list and uh, um, and and just basically go down the list and investigate. Uh, you know, uh, different things and report back. And uh, this way we can uh, um, help uh, inform uh, people who may be listening, who may be interested. So uh, you've talked about the, these projects that you're doing. One of the projects that you just uh, brought up, and I know there's many more that you haven't, uh, is with uh, using technology for gardens. And one of the things that the um, uh, Creskill Library is going to do is uh, set up a community garden. So that would be an interesting thing to uh, uh, start experimenting with uh, the, the robots and the technology to see if we could take something uh, um, that much, uh, um, you know, that's natural and then use what we've learned as a species with a technology to uh, kind of improve upon and assist nature uh, without poisoning ourselves. So I'm very interested in that. If Rita if Rita wants to go full on robot, there's something called a farm bot that's gonna run her about forty five hundred though. Um and I've tried multiple, multiple, multiple times to be able to rep that company. And they're probably one of three that have ever told me no. So okay. um uh beyond that, beyond that, she's going to need to be able to house uh something the size of um, you know, you know those square containers with the, um, with the. They're used. They're used for like shipping bulk, uh, like vegetable oil in or something. Stuff for human consumption. They're a plastic container with a metal skeleton on the outside, so the okay. forklift can come pick them up and stack them and all that. Um, if she wants to run something that's going to be able to feed something like a street on that community day in and day out, aquaponically, she's going to want to house something like, uh, I think those are 100-gallon tanks. She's going to want to house that, house that inside. A 50-gallon drum or a 30-gallon drum, she can she can decorate the library with those things. I mean, there's there's a uh, and it's it's uh, it's it is pardon uh, pardon 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 the expression. It is retardedly simple, um, and e easy easy to construct. 
you, you might okay. be out two drums. If... So that's a disclosure okay. network of project that we can work on uh, together. Uh, and uh, like I said, I'm on the grant writing uh, committee. So, uh, you know, whatever uh, monies we don't have, we can, you know, request. Uh, and I would need to work with you to under, better understand the project because, uh, um, again, as you say, I rely on people who have more scientific backgrounds or ways of understanding than I do. Uh, so uh, you and I will have a conversation and we'll see how far we can take it. But th- I think that that would be a good uh, project, a practical project. Uh, to work with uh, in our community, and then uh, yeah, I also I don't I don't know whether to believe what I hear about the chemtrails, but if they are what some people are saying they are, then it, that's a dangerous thing that we need to uh, to stop. Okay, okay, so and yes, yes we do, yes we do. I have on my roof here in Orem, I have forty six solar panels. Uh, that were set generating a specific amount that is averaged out over a year that is set generating a specific amount. Now, I'm pretty sure you guys see the, the checkerboard in the sky a lot out there. I, I, you know, I was seeing, I was seeing it during the, during the second library event. I was seeing it out there. So I'm pretty sure you guys see it a lot. Well, we're kind of starting to see it out here. And the logic behind it is you put um, silver dioxide in the clouds, water, water vapor, water vapor condenses around said, said um, silver oxide molecule. And thus it starts to form a cloud. More water, more water vapor condenses, lower pressure equals, you know, more of it's where the evaporation goes. And uh, therefore you have cloud seeding. This is something that you can dispatch out of a plane. And the argument on whether or not we should, I'm, a firm, I'm very, a very firm believer in no, we should not. But uh, will this technology feasibly buy us 50 more years before we start having 160-degree summers? Yes. So, uh, but uh, you will never catch me even dead in my grave saying that it is is a necessary evil. (laughs) Now, I I, uh, I, I don't even know if we have 50 years. From what some people are saying, uh, we have to make corrective action within the next dozen years or so. Uh, otherwise, we will have reached uh, the point where it'll be uh, very difficult, if not impossible, to uh, go back on. So that's of concern to me as well. Okay, one thing that Rita is definitely one thing that we should definitely throw into uh, your garden out there is a CO2 uh, monitor. Okay, is, uh, is definitely a CO2 monitor. Okay, and. Um, I, I have yet to run across it again since I was telling Nick about it um, on mm-hmm. one of the previous shows. But there's supposedly a way that you can trick a, an off-the-shelf like Element 14 carbon dioxide sensor. These things are little power hogs, by the way. Uh-huh. You can trick one of these sensors into reading the difference between um, – the the carbon isotope that is uh, caused by volcanics 
and the carbon isotope that's caused by like um, power plants and cars and jets and UPS and humanity. And um, you will you will find, and you will you can also find this. I mean, you can you can go out on the Atlantic, check check the amount uh, the the quantity of carbonic acid that is in the water out there. This is what is causing our. Uh, this is what's causing our poles to melt. Now, have they done this before? Indubitably, yes. Um, do we have a point on in the past two billion years of ice cores and rock cores and this and that and the other? The the bloody white cliffs of Dover, for hell's sakes. Um, <laughs> It was you know was formed by sea creatures that mm-hmm. fossilized because of you know there was well we can we can delve into that later or people okay. can look it up I encourage and we're we're fast approaching our uh, point of uh, no return um, tonight on the, in terms of the time we have uh, left on the show. So I want to make sure that people can uh, uh, contact you and access you. How can they access uh, Project Perceptor? You said it before, so I guess let people know again. Okay. Um, yeah, that is Facebook.com forward slash ROR, short for Rebirth of Renaissance, ROR Perceptor Project. P-R-E-C-E-P-T-O-R project. Um, I I have pretty well set up a dragnet there. That pipes directly to my phone. That will that also pipes directly to my SMS messages if my phone awesome. you know, if if Messenger is not available. Um, that that is the pinnacle. That that is the pinnacle of where to get hold of me as of late. Um, and all the ways to get, yeah, I mean, you know, I, there, there's a book now option to, um, look for the correct people to, you know, for, you know, free consultation. I, I had to have a book now option. So, and I had to have a service, so I offered free consultation. Um, and I, that's how, you know, offer a service to get, yeah, to get a hold of the correct people. Don't charge for that. So yeah, the the Facebook page is a, going to be a wonder. It is going to incorporate all of their technologies available as I learn about them. It already has a store. It already has a booking option. Therefore, it has a calendar. Um, it already has like five or six ways that um, AI bots mess when you met, when the person whoever messages. Five or six ways AI bots message me. So, uh, based on whatever situation. So, and there is also a group attached. Um, we all know about Facebook groups. We've all been we've all been pulled into at least one. Um, uh-huh. Facebook that group right now that group right now is pretty much invite only, and okay. that's where I'm what I'm going to reserve for the serious side of okay so there was uh, such and such person that reported a contact event in South Dakota contacted such and such person in South Dakota here was their findings that type of stuff until uh, and you know I I don't believe uh, that should be like a form of public record 
it is it is on the UFO Hunter Network, and okay. I mean some of those some of those some of those are pretty. Okay, so yes, chemtrails. We uh, the the thing is, we don't need all of the additives. We don't we don't really need what causes the chemtrail, but we definitely don't need the additives that are rumored to be in there. Okay. Now, um, are is the average Joe citizen, in a purposeful manner, going to run into a way of measuring what goes into a cloud seeding plane? Absolutely not. And that's that's where that's where um, Nick, that's where Nick's stuff touches in, because uh, and they have they have people who who have claimed to have found evidence. Of okay, well we're not we're not going to have this this dot of uranium two thirty five or some other agent or crazy crazy chemical on a flower petal, but it's over here and it's definitely not growing on dudes flowers two towns over, and yes we're starting to see the checkerboard in the sky. What's going on here? And on that um, note. Uh- our conversation will be uh, to be continued. Um, and uh, thank you very much, uh, Phoenix, for being on tonight's show. I'm looking forward to having you on as a regular voice uh, uh, next year as we adventure together uh, on the Disclosure Network projects that we're setting up and also on the uh, environmental and uh, STEM projects that we've been working on. So thank you for all that you've done and thank you for all that you do. Um, happy New Year to you and your family. May 2019 be um, kinder and bring more blessings. Looking forward to it and we are never given enough time, are we? <laughs> no, but we do our best with, with what we have. <laughs> yes, we and, do. Uh, and also on another show, we will explore more of the techno druid aspect of your uh, um, adventures and uh, your uh, persona and your ministry. Cool, cool. I would love hey, to expand. Uh, I will talk to you soon, my friend. Talk to you soon. Our next guest is Ivan Zendro. Uh, Ivan is a Hungarian shaman, a self-made shaman. And uh, we're going to start exploring his tale today. Um, and uh, we'll start in his early childhood, and uh, we will arrive Hello. in where he is. Greetings. How are you, Ivan? Good, good. Very, very good. How are I'm you glad doing? to hear that. What's I'm up? doing fantastic. I'm glad that we're having a chance to uh, to speak tonight. Uh, you are very busy. I'm very busy. It's very difficult for us to get together. So I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, uh, more of your story, your myth, your legend. Well, let, let's start first with a, with, a, with a fascinating moment that I just finished a session with a, a, a lady uh, from California. Um, okay. A healing se- healing session, and uh, I unfolded her legend. It's incredible, beautiful, beautiful story. How like a phoenix from a tragedy and really, really dark and and, and bloody <laughs> a start of uh, of life. She became a happy, happy person and 
how she can heal her, herself. And hello, are you there? I'm here. Okay. I'm listening. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So, okay. Uh, so in- incredible. And how she can heal herself and others now. So um, just briefly uh, for, for the listeners, hi, guys and girls. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year for everybody. And uh, uh, I'm here in, the, in my little attic room. Uh, it's a little uh, pre-revolutionary little uh, hut in Sneeders Landing, and I'm living in an attic room. And I'm the happiest person of the la- of the of the world. Uh, that is fantastic. Yeah, I, I like at least I feel so. Uh, competition is uh, admitted. Uh, so if somebody is, feels even happier than me, I'm glad to hear it. So, um, uh, but uh, as as every every legendary hero's life didn't start like that. The contrary. So that's an encouraging uh, little example. I was a miserable uh, little child in Budapest, uh, mm-hmm. oppressed by, by, uh, by uh, uh, a very, very busy father and, uh, and a communist regime. And so, so it looked like that's going to be a really, really miserable life. And uh, uh, that, that, that incredible... Uh, downwardly uh, uh, direction, it just hits the bottom so much that uh, yes. and that is that is the good good news for everybody who feels the same. That I I felt that I I can go lower, and uh, when of course uh, during that time uh, past uh, I became an actor, but also still very miserable without too much confidence and without any faith that I am really some can can produce something really nice and, and really big and that and that moment uh, uh, by chance I meet an even more miserable community than uh, myself who were a, a little village who was just hit by a flood and in front of my eyes because my theater troupe was uh, summer stocking close to them and we had to uh, postpone the show because of the flood and I went out to the levees and uh, mm-hmm. the whole village was just washed away in two days and nights in front of my eyes so that, wow. that was a good that was a good example, just like Buddha, who is going out from, from his uh, uh, marble uh, uh, palace and sees the, the sick person and the dead person. Uh, that, that really woke me up, and I said I have to change my life, and I have to, I have to adapt uh, something, uh, uh, something even worse than uh, than my state and that's going to be that village who was destroyed by a flood and these people believed in an ancient mythology and why uh-huh. we were uh, 
uh, uh, wrestling with the government who didn't want to let them rebuild again. Uh, I stayed with them. I left the whole theater behind. And I stayed with them in the ruined village. And I, 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 I collected up their legend, which is a very dark and very bloody legend itself. Yes, too. it is. The uh, High Noel, the judge of blood, which anyway, uh, in my act, I will show a movie, which I'm just making a movie now. Uh, and uh, uh, in Nyack I will show in March. So I, I invite everybody, everybody come to see the legend of the judge of blood, but not in the dark way how I received it, but in the light bringing, the, 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 the bright message uh, legend, which I felt in a certain point that is my obligation and my call to reshape that legend from a devastating horror story into an mm -hmm. uplifting, uh, ascending, uh, and healing legend, which I did first on my own. I healed myself, and then I started to learn what are those shamanic tricks <laughs> because the legend was a shamanic uh, originated yeah. uh, legend. What was the shamanic tricks uh, which helped me heal myself? And then I started to put into a method which I call, call journey to the upconscious, which is a, a, ascending to find your own legend, um, which which is ascending, which is like like uh, um, how they call Stan Lee said, excelsior. Yeah. <laughs> lifts you <laughs> upward and and uh, I even find out why upward what is the reason that we have to direct our emotions and motions upward like the growing trees and the grass and every living creatures on earth uh, uh -huh. uh, like, like, like the yearning arms each of us uh, yearning arms of the, of the earth to connect with the universe. And so we are, uh, wherever we are on the globe, we are, uh, we ought to reach upward and that triggers healing, uh, inspiration and survival and everything. And that legend is what I'm unfolding to people just like just a few minutes ago to this California lady, Catherine, um, uh, uh, heard her her legend, and I'm doing for other people too. So you can call me now. I I, I tell you just once. Okay. Uh, how can you connect me with me? And you might put on on uh, Hercules dear. Uh, you can put the legend of you, the legend of you y o u, uh, written together at yahoo.com the legend of you at yahoo.com this is my email and if you want to hear your uplifting legend uh, I, I unfold and with a little de donation for my ruined village because this is uh -huh. the uh, this is the happy end 
Hollywood is happy end of my legend that now I'm rebuilding that ruined village uh, with donations and with all of the income that I, which I earn uh, by my sessions and, and, and uh, seminars and, 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 and performances, shamanic performances. Um, now, um, you and I are both uh, mythic healers in a way, uh, and although exactly. we focus on different aspects of uh, uh, mythology, uh, we speak the same language, and I enjoy our conversations because there's uh, oh, always someone who uh, is basically uh, in the same wavelength and doing uh, the same thing, but in their own unique way. And that's why I like about shamanism and about finding your own uh, legend uh, is that uh, you become an agent for the divine. Uh, in our world, you know, you become a living myth and you uh, bring these old stories to life. And they, they do indeed. They yes. heal individuals and they heal communities. Yes. And, and you know what? When it started, it was just just a miserable kid, a city boy, as, as, as I said, who just say, uh, <laughs> what the heck? Why not to uh-huh. be a mythological hero? And I think I'm not alone, Hercules, with this uh, <laughs> with this pattern of of uh, of uh, legendary pa- pattern. And I'm sure that many many people can associate with with this thing. And it's really I'm just telling you guys and girls that it's really just matter of decision and a big plunge into the legend, into your legend, yes. and own it. And own it and follow it, and it starts to be you, and 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 suddenly beautiful things start to happen. Like yes, they do. Now, uh, for first first uh, for ten years, I uh, I didn't uh, uh, didn't do anything. Just just told told the legend for people from France to China. I went and I I. I did in big festivals and big theater or, or small little park, parties like like in little little rooms. I told the legend for everybody. Then, uh, then I said, uh, I said, uh, why to be so so, so enemy, uh, uh, antagonistic with the, with the modern media? Is it not also a part of the world? Uh, uh, what uh, with, with tools? Uh, when tools are changing, the legends are still available and to and and alive. And and then I I started to create a graphic novel from my legend, from Hino, yes. the Judge of Blood, graphic novel, uh, lying up with three Brazil. Uh, genius graphic artist and now we created in two years uh, exactly 200 page graphic novel I know the judge of blood and guess uh-huh. what? Uh, what guess what uh, now um, with, uh, there was in, in my Hungarian village uh, there was an old lady um, old lady who told me the most exciting, interesting things about the legend, and his grandson, who I never met, because he was 
in the army at that time, and he became mm-hmm. a world, fa- world famous film editor. That that peasant kid uh, after the army uh, started to study filmmaking, and he became a, a film editor, and he edited a beautiful animation film from the graphic novel. And that is the film wow. which I will show in March, uh, in, uh, in the middle of the March, in Nyack, in the, in the Culture Center. Please connect me with me and or, 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 or look around in Nyack. You know, it's Rockland County. Uh, it's beautiful, New York. yes. Yes, and, uh, and I, I will rent out the, the Nyack Center and I will, in huge, big, big movie screen, we can see the film, which is really fantastic, and it might uh, it might be even I would say not might be it will be that it that some filmmakers will see that film and will make a big 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 screen movie from the wow. heart of the judge of blood and all the money which I uh, uh, I humbly I. I assume it's going to be at kind of $13 million goes to rebuild the village. That is a noble <laughs> and big dream. I, and uh, you're, you've been pursuing it for years. That is awesome, Ivan. But it's dream. But that, that, is, that, that is the point that for a shaman and for a legendary legend maker, like you can, you can be or anybody can be, it's not just a dream, but simply a life, a living life. So our yes. dream, we'll, we are living our dream. So it's, it's incredible. It's really, really incredible. Uh, and it's incredible. We are so, so... It's even more yeah, incredible yeah, yeah. that you're, you're taking uh, your life and you're dedicating to helping others find this wonderful gift. Uh, that you found from the mythic realm and you're making it available to other uh, people. So that has been fantastic. Uh, I know I, I've covered extensively and I've read Alice in the Upper Land and uh, I got to meet Alice, uh, who the book is uh, about, and uh, I got to experience uh, your unique way of reading upwards, which does produce changes oh, in yeah. consciousness. So, yeah, my, uh, my, book, awesome my book, I read it upwards from the bottom of of the page going upward to the top, so that that's uh, 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 that that I don't care, I don't uh, collect the money for myself, but for the village that makes right. my uh, my balloon is flying or or myself uh, it's making easier to fly upward. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, I think here. you do the same. You do the same, my Hercules. You do the yes, same. In my, we are in... in my own way, yes. <laughs> and the, yeah, the yeah, shaman, yeah. shamanism is very individual. So uh, um, the, the great thing about the, the shamanic path is that um, even though you're dealing with the mythic on a very high level, it's still your own uniqueness. You do not lose yourself on this path. You find yourself. Uh, exactly, you find exactly. That, uh, Sha- exactly. Yes. Yeah, uh, it's it's from from com- comes from the spirit origin of spirituality, where there was no institutional uh, religion, right. uh, and then and, and everybody had had 
their own personal quest from city yeah. boy into a self-made shama. <laughs> and that is yours. That, that is awesome. How, yeah, it's when, beautiful. When did the awareness that uh, your shaman enter your consciousness? Was it during the time at, uh, at this village or afterwards when you reflected on your experiences? Well, I, I, in the village, I, I met an old, uh, an old lady. This lady, the, the grand, grandmother of this edit film editor, who was uh, the, the, the daughter of the village shaman. So she told me a lot about that old man, Ferenc Papo, uh-huh. uh, uh, because they were, they were not the same religion than the most of villagers. Uh, Ferenc right. Papo shaman chose a very individual way to refer on spirituality, not on the on the uh, usual uh, reformed Lutheran or Calvinist uh, uh, religion, but he was he was uh, nibbling out from the personal experiences of their clients, their shaman uh-huh. and legend, le- legendary elements, and that's how he assembled together their personal legend. Uh, healing legend, and uh, and as uh, 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 Anna uh, Anna told me, uh, Anna shaman, because she was a shaman as well as my uh, uh, by my uh, feeling. Uh, uh-huh. That's how that's how uh, that's how I learned that I don't refer too much on on institutional religions or or, right. or, or or religious background, but I'm tapping on the individual experiences and I don't reveal uh, the secret what's going to be my questions to you when you want to hear your legend from me. Again, uh, through the, the legend of you at yahoo.com. And please, guys, Happy New Year for all of you guys. And on March, we will celebrate in Nyack an uplifting uh, celebration of, uh, of, the, of the spring, uh, showing uh, and watching my movie where a dark uh, legend turned into an uplifting, beautiful mythology with heroes, with all of the heroes who will dance there together, the individual legends. Uh, in a dance awesome. competition. Okay, and so come now the, com- guys. now the computer informed me that uh, that we're going to be uh, closing the show. Um, I on the Facebook page uh, there are links to Yvonne's Facebook to uh, the Legend of You on uh, Facebook. Uh, two different versions of that. The website. Um, Yvonne's book, Alice in the Upper Land, uh, plus his email. Is there anything else you'd like me to add, Yvonne? Uh, nothing. Just happy, happy, happy New Year. And see each other in March, celebrating the light and the happiness and the new spring. Okay, guys? Okay, take care, Yvonne, and thanks to everybody who listened tonight. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Thanks 
for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. <laughs>